He's got, you know, sheet burn on the knees and stuff. It's but on the golf course, lots of wear and tear left on Tiger Eldrick Woods from Jupiter, Florida. <laughs> A lot of things to talk about in this uh, 422nd episode of Unscripted as we welcome you to said program. Mike and Chris with you. Um, we've got some uh, uh, National Football League stuff to talk about. We've got some UFC stuff to talk about. Uh, a lot of NHL stuff that I want to hit Chris with. But um, I guess I'm going to start with the President's Cup, the golf thing. Um, Ernie Els on Tuesday made uh, his four picks to add to his team. Each team starts with a base of eight players that qualify automatically based on what they've done throughout the whole season. And then this Tuesday, Ernie Els selected Jason Day, Canadian Adam Hadwin, uh, South Korean Sung Jae Im, and I don't know where Joachim Neiman is from, but those were his four captain's picks for his international squad. And then the next day, Wednesday, old Eldrick Tiger Woods selected Tony Finau with his four picks. He picked Tony Finau, U.S. Open champion Gary Woodland, and Captain America, that pain-in-the-ass Patrick Reed. And for his fourth pick, he selected a guy he's very familiar with from Stanford University, and originally from outside the city of Los Angeles, one Eldrick Tiger Woods made the team. And um, supposedly, the story that I got from watching Golf Channel the day that it happened, so this was Wednesday, the story that I got was that Woods was, obviously we found out about his knee surgery since the end of the season. We also know that he had a torn oblique muscle on the right side of his rib cage. So those were two problems as to why he was so inefficient last year after Augusta. But a lot of the players, and supposedly including Turkey Tits, because Turkey Tits had called Tiger Woods and said, listen, don't, I'm not playing well enough. Don't use a captain's pick on me. And I got to tell you, I have a lot more respect for Phil Mickelson after doing something like that, realizing that He's not having a good year, has not been a, a, a has not been at his best, and you really can't in this day and age with how competitive these things get, you cannot have a weak link on your team. Supposedly a lot of the different members of the supposedly there were 25 guys that Tiger was looking at, and all of the guys, the guys that made the team and the guys that were looking for one of the four captain's picks were all supposedly begging Woods to play, especially after what he did a couple of weeks ago in Tokyo. He looked much healthier. Obviously, the knee was feeling better. The oblique uh, uh, muscle had healed, and he goes out and wins the Zozo Championship in Tokyo. So Tiger is in uh, a little different format. There has not been a playing captain for the President's Cup since 1994 when Hale Irwin did it. There has not been a playing 
captain since the 70s on the Ryder Cup side since Arnold Palmer did it. So Eldrick becomes one of very few, the third playing captain in these international competitions. But Tiger has to play only one other match before. He has to play one match, and then obviously as one of 12 guys, he's got to play in the Sunday single matches. But the President's Cup is different from the Ryder Cup, whereas the Ryder Cup, they start Thursday, excuse me, the Ryder Cup starts Friday, but the President's Cup starts Thursday, and they only have one competition per day. Whereas the Ryder Cup starts on Friday, but they have two competitions on Friday, two competitions on Saturday, and then, of course, Sunday singles. So Tiger believes that he can pull this off. He'll again, he'll play one game, excuse me, he'll play one match, probably more than likely on the Thursday. Then he'll re- re- report back to his president's du- uh, captain's duties on Friday and Saturday, and then obviously he'll have to play Sunday singles. But uh, I think Tiger, all jokes aside, with his win in Japan, we know he gets up for this kind of stuff. These are the kind of circuses that he really seems to do well in. He's got a 24-15-3 overall record in his career at the President's Cup. So obviously he is an asset versus a liability. Um, But here's the other thing that people don't seem to remember or realize at this point. Brooks Kepka hurt his right knee. No, excuse me, his left knee. So his push knee. He hurt his push knee uh, at the CJ Cup tournament in South Korea back in late October. And he's still iffy to even be able to participate. Tiger has told him to rehab, rest. You're on the team regardless. He was the number one qualifier. Right now, I think he's the best player in the world. But obviously, if Kepka can't go, you still have options like Ricky Fowler, who was bypassed as one of the four captain's picks. Kevin Kisner was bypassed as one of the four captain's picks. And a really, really good match play player is Kevin Kisner. A lot of people, because these games... or these, this competition involves uh, Asian countries, whereas obviously the Ryder Cup is Europe. A lot of people wanted a Asian like maybe Kevin Na to be involved. And it would have been fun to see Kevin Na and Bryson DeChambeau play together because they are the two slowest players on the PGA Tour. They are slower than molasses in January. Those two would be on the clock in the locker room getting dressed to make it out to the first tee. Would have been interesting. But Tiger makes his choices. Ernie Els makes his choices. And I know you don't follow golf like I do, but you know all the players that I've just mentioned. What do you think of Captain Woods bringing player Woods onto this U.S. uh, President's Cup team? It's a tough one. Uh, Now, the fact that Tiger just won a tournament and tied Sam Snead's record after all, something he should have done 10 years ago, frankly, uh, you know, that's the that's my disappointment with him there. But he did that, so that means he can win the small ones, and we all know he can <laughs> win the big ones, and he's he is a big match golfer. He is at his best, typically, when it's a big tournament, it's a major, it's a final round. I mean, he is, they, you know, he puts on the red shirt, and, you know, he's at his best, and he can be a ways behind, and all of a sudden he just charges up the leaderboard. It's, it's crazy. So if we can get Tiger Woods with his maximum clutch ability combined with the guy who was able to just win a tournament a a few days or weeks ago then you know what maybe that is worth it and he's still the reigning masters champion as well 
So, hey, maybe there's something left in this guy. He also didn't golf much for 10 years of what should have been maybe his not prime. his prime, but maybe sort of his prime. And uh, yeah, so he should actually have quite a bit of tread uh, left on his tires, really, in terms of at least on the golf course, maybe not in the bedroom, but in the golf course, <laughs> he, sh- he, sh- he probably, you know, oh, yeah, he's got, oh, man, his his wrists are sore from bed and his, you know, his, you know, he's got, you know, sheet burn on the knees and stuff. It's but On the golf course, lots of wear and tear left on Tiger Eldrick Woods from Jupiter, Florida. <laughs> I am <laughs> I am a little disappointed, I have to admit, in the selection of Patrick Reed. Um, two Is, years, isn't he an asshole? He's a king of the assholes. <laughs> and two years ago, or whenever it was, at Hazeltine in Minneapolis, he was the difference maker for the U.S. team against the Europeans in the Ryder Cup. Not in Paris, but the one previous to that, which was outside of Minneapolis. But... Last year at the Ryder Cup in Paris, he was a total asshole. And he called out Jordan Spieth, and he called out Tiger Woods. And the problem was, Tiger was Tiger had the worst overall record last year at the Ryder Cup, but part of the problem was he played twice with Patrick Reed, and Patrick Reed was dog shit. Mm. Dog shit. Last year at the Ryder Cup in Paris. And then all that nonsense after where he's calling out Spieth and he's calling out Woods and he's calling out Mickelson. Screw you. I think there should have been some penalty for that. I mean, it's really, to me, it's really going to seem weird to have an international competition and no Phil Mickelson. This will be Mickelson's first miss since 1994. He had made every team, President's and Ryder Cup team, his first one was the President's Cup team in 1994. He has been in every one every year since, except for the year they missed, obviously, in 2001 with the bombing of, of uh, the uh, Twin Towers in New York. But I think there should have been a penalty to Patrick Reed for a year to let him settle down and realize that there are consequences when you call out your teammates and you call out your captain. He also called out the captain of that Ryder Cup team, um, last year, which was Jim Furyk in Paris because of the pairings. But yet going into the competition, he was crying. He wanted to play with Tiger Woods. And then after he looked like a total bazooka Joe on the course, he was bitching about Jordan Spieth because he and Jordan Spieth should have played together because of how well they played at Hazeltine, Hazeltine, whatever you want to call it, two years ago in outside of Minneapolis. All I know is that when all that noise happened last year after the Paris Ryder Cup, I think that there should have been a cooling off period for Patrick Reed and keep Captain America's ass at home. I really believe that. It's Again, I, as I was just about to say, it is going to be weird to see an international golf competition and no Phil Mickelson and really surprising to me to see no Jordan Spieth. Yeah, whatever happened to Jordan, honestly. He got I mean, married. Is, well, that actually does affect some people like that. Uh, you know, I, I had said a couple of years ago already on this program that, uh, you know, he just needed to win one major a year and he'd be, you know, by the time he's 40, he'd pretty much have the record. He was never a long hitter. He can't hit with the Kepkas and okay, the... Okay, but isn't that the, less important what, than a short game? But what I'm getting at is the thing that made him different. We all know he can't hit it as long as Johnson and Kepka and even Woods at this point of the game. But the thing that made 
Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth, was his ability from 150 yards in. There was nobody better with a with a nine iron pitching wedge, sand wedge, whatever, and then ultimately the putter. There was nobody with a short game club in his hand. There was nobody better. And that's the thing I think that has hurt Jordan the most. Again, we know he's not the longest hitter, but he was always accurate. And there was nobody better from 150 yards in. The last couple of years, his short game has not been Jordan Spieth-esque, if you will. And that's what's cost him. Um, I think that, and and again, I, I make a joke about you know, him getting married. But yes, he did get married a couple of summers ago. And yes, his performance has not been as good. I don't know if the marriage has anything to do with it, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the newest Mrs. Spieth. All I'm saying is that it's going to be weird for a U.S. team in an international golf competition that does not have Jordan Spieth and Phil Mickelson on the roster. That's all I'm going to say. I just It just is going to seem really weird to me. Um, a lot of things to talk about. I want to hit Chris with some topics as we are about a month in to this most current National Hockey League season, and we'll get to that in a minute. I do have a couple of news and notes to pass along. I wanted to talk to Chris about this. Um, is there a more... And, and you know, Chris and I get on this topic a lot, but I think this may have just put this team over the edge, hands down, number one, most dysfunctional franchise in sports. And that I'm giving my vote for the most dysfunctional sports team. And again, Chris and I kind of kind of concentrate our energies, if you will, around the National Hockey League, the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. And we dabble in UFC, obviously, and wrestling and stuff like that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna confine this to the big four in regard to National Hockey League, NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. Is there a more dysfunctional family right now, a dysfunctional franchise than the Washington Redskins? They don't know how to hire a coach. They have let talent like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Matt LaFleur leave to other head coaching positions, and they mire, They keep being mired in, in, in the abyss with morons like Jay Gruden um, as their head coach. But what they did to their all-pro, all-world left tackle, Trent Williams, this week, to me, is disrespectful to him especially, but it's disrespectful to the NFL Players Association, and I believe that D. Wayne Smith, or whatever the fuck his name is, is going is to chime in on this sooner or later. But the Redskins placed their all-pro left tackle. Last weekend, Trent Williams reported to the Redskins so he could get credit for an accrued season toward free agency. So he had to report by week 10. He did that a week early. He reported last week. Tuesday of this last week, the Redskins put him on what they call the non-football injury list, terminating or ending his season right there. He is on... IR basically, but it's for a non-football injury list. And the difference between being on regular IR and being on the NFI list is that the team can choose, if you've been placed on the non-football injury list, 
that organization can choose, not many of them do, but obviously the Washington Redskins are a speciality case here, these freaking morons, they can decide not to pay the guys on the non-football injury list, which is what Daniel Schneider's ban of hooligans have decided to do with Trent Williams. I think that is preposterous. Not only is the Washington Redskins organization run by a bunch of hooligan morons, but they must have a medical staff as poor or poorer than the New Orleans Saints, which we make a fun of all the time, who can't tell the difference between a contusion and a broken leg. But here is a guy that had a problem going back. If I'm wrong, please correct me. But I believe he's had a problem with this thing on his head for six years and made the Redskins medical team aware of it. They didn't do anything about it. Williams goes out and has it surgically removed with a physician of his, a surgeon of his choice. And that's just when the shit started in regards to his relationship with the Washington Redskins. And the Redskins have now taken it one step further by putting him on this non-football injury list and they aren't paying him anymore. Now, I don't know. I'm very interested to hear what my partner and my friend has to say about this. But I think, as I just mentioned, this is disrespectful first and foremost to an all-pro who's been in the league 10 years um, to put him on some list when his helmet didn't fit right, some stupid bullshit like that. But what I'm saying here is, here's a guy that's been a, a faithful employee for 10 years. I don't know what the number is. I'm going to say 10 years. He's 31 years old, so I've, he's at least been with the Redskins 9 or 10 years. And they put him on this list, and then they refuse to pay him. I think that any future free agent that potentially was looking at playing for the Washington Redskins has just decided to play on some other team in the National Football League because of the continued disrespect and bullshit being shown to players by the current administration of the Washington Redskins Football Club. Yeah, when the Miami Dolphins defeated the New York Jets last week, I thought that they must be the dumbest organization because they've got a terrible team with no talent, and they, the whole idea was to completely tank this year because there's still no NFL draft lottery. And that win, I think a lot of people might have missed this, the Miami Dolphins winning that game didn't just knock them out of the top spot. It knocked them down to the fourth pick. Yeah, yeah, I The know. fourth pick. And one of those teams that they're behind is the Washington Redskins, who have a hot young uh, quarterback who hasn't played that well this year, but at least he's a top draft pick and was argu arguably the best quarterback in his class, or second, I guess, probably at this point. But... Um, you know, and, and the other two teams that uh, are ahead, the Miami Dolphins, uh, well, originally the Dolphins, and um, uh, the uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals. Yeah, they both want quarterbacks, so they'll take Tua and Justin Herbert. And then the uh, whoever the other team is, they're the Jets. They've already got Darnold, even though he's seeing ghosts and he's a head case already. Uh, so they should still get one of the top two quarterbacks. But I thought when I saw, as my wife says, that the Miami Dolphins can't even lose properly, <laughs> I thought that was as low as the bar goes. But the thing with the Miami Dolphins, I don't know of anything this year that I can think of that was just truly classless. Because that's how you go from just stupid and incompetent. The only way to lower the bar there is to be classless. And that's what the uh, that's what the Washington Redskins have done here. And it's unbelievable. And it just, it goes beyond even a lack of class or just pure stupidity to being completely just lacking self-awareness. Because yeah. when you screw up, 
you at some point, like even if they hadn't screwed up, I think it's just the right thing to do to uh, you put a guy in the NFL, especially when it was cancer. Even if, let's say you hadn't screwed up, he just got cancer out of nowhere and, you know, the poor guy can't play. He's put in a long time with you. Uh, last full season he played, he allowed zero quarterback sacks as a left tackle in the NFL. How good can you do your job? Uh, but I guess the Redskins can't recognize competence when they see it. So, uh, you know, but I mean, you give the guy, the money, what's $5 million to the Washington Schneider. Redskins? Yeah, like nothing, right? So you give the guy his money. What a nice gesture it would be. Then, especially when you, for six years or something, misdiagnosed his friggin' cancer on his friggin' head, uh, and then he can't even play because he can't even pass a physical because his helmet can't go over the cancer on his right. head yeah. that was potentially weeks away from metastasizing and messing up his brain and his skull and everything. Boy, I mean, you know, between the NCAA and the Washington <laughs> Redskins this week, it's it's a really, I, I would make a joke, but honestly, it's just really disheartening and sad. This level of incompetence, of heartlessness, and just everything wrong with sports and business we have seen here at both the professional and the amateur levels. And uh, I, I, to be honest, I'm just not motivated to make a joke here because it is sad uh, to, to mishandle it so badly at every stage. You know, misdiagnosis, you know, ignorance, classlessness, uh, just it's horrible. And I, I'm sad that they didn't trade him. Uh, I, we need to get him out of Washington and go play somewhere where he can thrive. And there's a lot of teams that could use oh. a Trent Williams right now. I mean, I could list off the top of my head. I bet I could list half the teams. I could list almost every team in the league that could use Trent Williams. Uh, even a team, even a team like Green Bay that has a great O line, has a great left tackle. I'm sure you can find a place to put Trent Williams on the line somewhere. I'd find a place. Yeah, mm. we can find a place for Trent Williams. But I mean, especially holy mo the Rams, the Texans. Are you kidding? That guy could single handedly. The Chiefs. Yeah, the, that guy could single handedly uh, take a team from very good to Super Bowl champion. Really, I mean, you give protection. Even even the Browns would be so much better with a Trent Williams on there because they have so many other nice pieces. What a sad story this is. I hope Trent Williams, I, I've always liked the guy. I hope he makes a full recovery and I hope he gets a fresh start somewhere. And I hope the Washington Redskins continue their, uh, you know, just their descent into irrelevance. Not that they ever really climbed out of it necessarily, but like I told Mike recently, it's weird to see the Redskins being one of the top uh, teams of all time when it comes to number of Super Bowls won because for people my age and younger there is no memory of the Redskins ever being good they have just been a Cleveland Browns type terrible franchise New York Jets type franchise for the entire time I've been watching football so shame on you Washington Redskins shame on you NCAA just you know you couldn't possibly be worse at your jobs and for me I am always great at my jobs, and I've been let go of a number of companies. I've worked for 25 companies in my life. I'm amazing at my job now, and at least in my current job, I get recognition for it, but I certainly don't make you know millions of dollars at it, but I'm amazing at my job, and Trent Williams was amazing at his job, and uh, you know when you suck at your jobs, it makes it all that much worse for the rest of us who don't get all the, the limited power and money that you guys seem to take for granted. I don't... Um... I don't want to continue talking about this guy, but I, it's it's newsworthy this time, and I will. I promise to all of you, 
Chris included, that I will make sure that I do not mention this person as much because then we're keeping this idiot in the news. But Chris and I, since the beginning of this season, have thought that Antonio Brown had multiple personalities. And I think this week he demonstrated that Chris and I were pretty much right on. Antonio Brown, and I think first and foremost, we need to take Twitter and social media out of the hands of Antonio Brown because all he does is put more gravel on his grave when he starts tweeting and whatever else they call that stuff on social media. But every, and I think maybe there's a drug or alcohol problem because some of the things that he says, you think that, you know, I, it's, it's amazing to me. And I see it with my daughters, not that they drink and do that kind of stuff, but how good they are at tweeting that stuff out and, and their thumbs going at 2 million miles a minute. And, but I see other people that get on there and they have, you know, the biggest balls in the world when they have a couple of drinks on them and then they go out and chastise somebody on social media only to realize it comes back and bites you in the ass. Antonio Brown, I think, was drunk or high this week when he lashed out again at the NFL on Thursday via Twitter. And again, he has meetings this upcoming week, and I believe they're Tuesday at the league offices in New York City to talk about his little sexual problems. But Thursday of this last week, he got out on Twitter again and uh, saying that he will never, and I quote, play in that shit league again, end quote. Well, my thinking is after he came out with that, he must have gotten a call from his agent, super idiot Drew Rosenhaus, saying, Antonio, shut your fucking mouth. Put that goddamn Twitter, flush it down the toilet, give it to your girlfriend, give it to somebody, but get Twitter out of your hands. So then about an hour after he had made that infamous tweet about never playing in that shit league again, he tweets again saying, I look forward to clearing my name and playing for an NFL team once again. Folks, the reason I brought this up is that this is just more proof in the pudding that Antonio Brown is A, an idiot, and B, has dual personalities because you cannot piss off the people that you're trying to save face and get back in the league and you say idiot things like I'll never play in that shit league again you know how many people would give a testicle to play in that shit league at the money that you're playing for in that shit league and Chris just said it right he is very good at what his at what he does for the company that he works for now but he's not getting paid what Antonio and Antonio Brown was getting to pay getting paid to want to run pass routes for the Pittsburgh Steelers Oakland Raiders and New England Patriots I just think that it's time for Antonio Brown to just shut the you-know-what up and just get through this thing that he's got to get through next week with the NFL and see what happens after that. But in the interim, Drew Rosenhaus, get that Twitter account out of his hands. Get him away from making public statements. Just dummy him up for a couple of weeks until this investigation is over, and then let's see what happens. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating for an agent these days. Not that anyone's going to feel sorry for Drew Rosenhaus, but uh, man, that must be annoying. If you're an agent, you're trying so hard to craft a special message and build a brand and and take care of your guys, and they just do stupid stuff like this. It's got to be so annoying, honestly. It really does. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I was thinking the same thing too. He, it's like, yeah, one hour he's tweeting, yeah, the NFL's a shit league, and the next one it's like, oh, I'm just frustrated and I can't wait to come back to the NFL and all this cable dude like you know your sexual assault stuff could take a while to resolve itself 
Uh, you know, you're in your 30s now. Yeah. You know, you've burnt bridges at a few places out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, three teams uh, don't like you, which, you know, that's record time. <laughs> and I just, I don't see a... I don't see a comeback for this guy at this point. He's just not worth it. Uh, Russell Wilson got the Seattle Seahawks to do due diligence on Antonio yep. Brown, and they decided they just couldn't do it. I mean, even if they wanted to, this whole the sexual assault investigation is really e- impeding you there. So they went with Josh Gordon instead, and uh, they've got him to uh, ideally make his debut against San Fran this Monday night. But uh, yeah, when, when teams are looking at you and they... You know, a star when the MVP of the league this year is asking to have you on the team as a receiver that you can catch passes from, and for probably multiple reasons that's not able to happen, dude, you have to understand the severity of your situation and you have to be a little bit humble at some point. But I think there really is something wrong with Antonio Brown. I think, honestly, I think that last Vontez Perfect concussion <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, I really do. I, I'm do not too. even, I'm not even kidding. I, I think that was a bad one. Something's wrong with Antonio Brown. I'd, uh, I think he has got to have CTE at the very least. And uh, I don't know if he realizes everything that's going on, but yeah, he's a, uh, he, what a, what a fall from grace just in record time. I've never seen a guy go from that high in terms of status at his position in the NFL to being a complete pariah. I, it just, it never happens. I mean, it's just, I mean, a year ago at this time, he was the best receiver in football for the fifth or sixth year in a row. And now he's a piece of shit in every way, personally and professionally. And he's a complete non-factor and he's, uh, you know, just uh, completely blacklisted. And I don't think that'll ever change, to be honest. So, I mean, look, if Roger Goodell basically kept Josh Gordon out of the league for years because yeah. he because he had a drink once in a while and smoked the odd joint, then what the fuck are they going to do with Antonio Brown? Because Antonio Brown's way worse than that. Yeah. So uh, I've got no problem with Josh Gordon, frankly. But Antonio Brown, uh, there's lots to dislike there. So, yeah, the, you know what? The guy, uh, the guy took everything for granted. If he would have just... I don't know if he would have just played for the Raiders and didn't come out and see don't appear like this complete head case. I don't even know if that uh, if that story gets out necessarily, because I got the distinct impression that, uh, you know, that girl was encouraged to come forward when he started acting like a jackass. And it was really believable yeah. Yeah. that I mean, I'm not saying she's she's not no. telling the truth, but I'm just saying, like, let's let's assume she is telling the truth. Like. Uh, it just seemed like, oh, okay, you know what? You know, he is a psycho and someone needs to deal with this idiot. And before, you know, this this happened years ago and it never came out. And all of a sudden it does once he starts acting like a jackass. So maybe if he would have just shut his mouth and played for the Oakland Raiders and been, you know, grateful to have a great job making great money, maybe none of this stuff happened. So really, no one feels sorry for Antonio Brown. Before we get out of here on this 422nd episode of Unscripted, I want to uh, get some NHL news and notes in here. And uh, I do want to send out congratulations to Bruins defenseman Zdeno Chara as he reached his 1500th career game on Tuesday night against the Canadians at the Bell Centre in Montreal. And not only was that a significant, uh, obviously a significant milestone, but also I was very impressed with the... uh, Canadiens fans at the Bell Center on Tuesday night. They stood in unison and gave a great round of applause for a great career achievement to Zdeno Chara. 
Obviously, they remember him for his days in Ottawa, but obviously the great rivalry between the Bruins and the Canadians in the National Hockey League, and they recognize special participants in that rivalry. And obviously, Zdeno Chara is one of those, and our congratulations for reaching his 1500th career game on Tuesday night. Great job. We are about, I'm guesstimating here, we are about 30 days or one month into this most current National Hockey League season. And I have a string of nine questions or statements here, uh, depending on how each of these teams or individual players have started out through the first month. And I'm going to ask Chris these nine things that I have found through the first part of this most recent National Hockey League season. Again, we're about a month in, and I want, I will throw out a statement. And I want to see if Chris will agree with that statement or will he totally tell me I'm off my rocker and we'll just quietly move on to the next topic. My first topic, obviously the Tampa Bay Lightning last year were the cream of the crop during the regular season. Um, 134 points, 62 regular season wins. And obviously things have not gotten off to that good a start this year. I mean, they're still above 500. They're not, you know, going to the poorhouse. But obviously when you were as dominant as the Tampa Bay Lightning last year were last year, a lot of people thought that they were going to be the team to beat. And even with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder after getting swept in round one by John Tortorella and his Columbus Blue Jackets in last season's playoffs. But my first statement to you, my friend, is are the Lightning still, after a one month in, are the Lightning still the team to beat in the National Hockey League? Yes, I actually think they are. I don't like to get uh, you know too down on a team just because of the first month. Typically, especially the Tampa Bay Lightning after last year, they've still got their team intact. And uh, just to show how... Uh, you know, how much of a swoon they're in right now. In my fantasy hockey league, I'm in one fantasy hockey league. It's at work. And I had the second overall pick in my draft. So I took Nikita Kucherov because McDavid went first overall. Yeah. So I took Kucherov, uh, last year's Art Ross winner, leading scorer in the league. Yep. And right now, out of all my forwards on my whole team, I've got, I don't know what it is, 10 forwards or something on my team. Kucherov has the least points out of all of them. Really? He, Nikita Kucherov, my second overall draft pick, yeah. is my lowest scoring forward. So there's no way That's that can continue. continue. I'm sorry. Uh, barring injury, that cannot continue. It just has to regress at least a little bit. So I think once he gets going and uh, Braden Point gets going in Stamkos, uh, when they first put that line together, it looked really good. I, th- I think it'll, it'll click. I don't know what's going on there, but it's going to come back. Kucherov did score last night. And uh, I think that they'll be okay. But there's a serious regression to the mean coming. Even if they're just a solid team, not like first, like last year, there's still major positive regression coming. So I absolutely expect some major winning streaks from the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. Second question, two teams that have gotten off to fabulous, fabulous starts so far this season. Again, a month in, but my question, second question, do the Sabres and the Oilers both make the playoffs. Yeah, they do. The Oilers won again last night. And, uh, you know, it, it's just at this point, I look, I can, I don't really know if they're hold on to first in the division or anything of that much longer, although they still are maintaining that. Uh, but 
they just have to be very, very average at best from this point on, and they can make the playoffs here because they've got off to such a strong start. Uh, their goaltending's been excellent. Koskinen went to 6-1-1. One, and one. Uh, Mike Smith has stolen some games. And uh, look, the, between the goaltending, there's a lot of defensive depth all of a sudden. We haven't even used all of the defensive depth from the farm team. There's some guys, I think, that are ready to play in the NHL that aren't that aren't there yet. Um, the depth guys, they did get some scoring from them uh, last night. And they, uh, you know, uh, they've gotten some good shifts from them. Like Riley Sheehan and Josh Archibald came back. And those guys haven't really scored this year. But man, have they brought a lot of energy and kept the opposition in their end a lot. And like, that's what you want from your checking lines. And so uh, I, I think that the Oilers are in really good shape to make the playoffs. And uh, and really, they should have made it more than once since McDavid's been there. So I, I'm, I'm really not surprised at that, honestly. And with the Sabres, like I said in our preview before the season started, with Ralph Kruger... Uh, the guy's a genius. Like he, the guy is the most underrated coach in the NHL, and maybe that will change soon. But to go and spend a bunch of years in soccer and then come back and be amazing right off the bat with a team with a questionable locker room, even though there's a fair bit of talent there, uh, I'm just I'm not surprised. Uh, absolutely, both those teams are making the playoffs. Question number three: Will James Neal score forty goals? Uh, no, but I said in the preseason James Neal sh- could easily score twenty or thirty. I absolutely expected twenty because he always scores twenty unless right. he's playing for the Flames. Right, and uh, so and thirty absolutely forty would be crazy. Uh, it all depends on the power play. He's found his spot uh, on the right side of the crease there and uh, getting rebounds, and he's been it just lights out on the power play. Got another power play goal the other night. And uh, yeah, he, I think he's probably still leading the league in power play goals. 40's a bit much. That takes a lot. And he's only, I think, hit that once. But uh, no, I expect 20 or 30 like I did before the season started. So uh, great job, James Neal. Question number four, Elias Pettersson of the Vancouver Canucks will finish in the top 10 in scoring. Yes or no? Yeah. Okay. Got that. Number five. This team has been disappointing. You heard me talk about Peter DeBoer in uh, last week's episodes. The question here is, will the Sharks be a lottery team? No. Okay. Oh, pardon me. Sorry, pardon me. Let me, let me rephrase. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. When you said lottery in my head, I heard wild card. No. Lottery. Pardon me. A lottery team? Uh, yes, I think they will because they're so far back there that I think they're just going to give up on it and just, it, it's not worth it. And then they've so got... So they, they, they potentially could be sellers at the trading deadline too. Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, Patrick Kane, who we, we can talk about in Freeform Friday. Sure, sounds good. Um, one of the reasons that the Vegas Golden Knights have gotten off to a fair to Midland start, it hasn't been the goaltender, Marc-Andre Fleury. It's been winger Mark Stone, and my question to you there is, will Mark Stone be a Hart Trophy finalist? Well, I think he'll be a Selkie Trophy finalist. Hart Trophy. Wow. Like Ooh, that one, huh? That's mm-hmm. a tough one. I'm going to say no. I love the Knights, and I love Mark Stone. Boy, I don't think I've looked at that closely enough. to. Th- I, I, don't, I wouldn't have considered it for that. I got him thinking on yeah. that one. What, what made you ask that, by the way? Well, because of my love of Vegas, and and uh, I just think this guy, since he came on board with the Vegas Golden Knights, has been a consistent difference maker. And uh, I didn't know how offensively gifted this guy was until I've seen him now, the end of last year with Vegas and the beginning of this year with Vegas. Without him, 
Vegas would be in trouble this year so far. Again, we're only a month in, but if they don't have Mark Stone, they're in trouble. Uh. I, I think that's a really neat pick, but uh, if I had to guess right now, I, I would say no, if I had to put money on it. Sounds good. Uh, seventh question, the New York Rangers will make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I think they will. They're, they're going to complete their epic uh, express lane rebuild and show you how to do it. Tell your fans you're rebuilding, acquire a million picks, get serious about it, sign some free agents because you're by easily one of the top three revenue teams, and then get back to the playoffs and your usual perennial excellence. Absolutely. The Islanders will finish second in the Metropolitan Metropolitan Division. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't necessarily see them winning, but I don't see them being bad either. I mean, it's Barry Trotz. What do you expect? So I think second's actually a really good spot for them. And finally, Pekka Rinne uh, of the Nashville Predators will be a Vesna Trophy finalist. No. I agree. Totally. Yeah. No, I haven't been impressed with him at all. Even in recent years... Like, Saros has been at least as good as him. And, boy, that that collapse against the Flames. Well, I was just going to say that. It'll take a while for me to forgive him I for that. Put, I put that one in there because I saw that game against the Flames in the third period where the Flames were down four goals. They came back and won it in overtime. And uh, that goal that uh, Chucky scored to complete the comeback was enough to make me say Rene will not be a Vesna no, Trophy finalist. No Before we get out of here, real quick. Um, just something that, uh, I kind of wanted to, uh, end this 422nd episode with, and, uh, this is kind of a sad note to me for the Canadian football league. Sometimes the Canadian football league gets lost because, you know, it, there's only nine teams and, and, uh, you know, you get tired of seeing the same teams play the same teams just because there just isn't a lot of competition because of only having nine teams, but, a sad note from the CFL, after only one season as a head coach, the uh, BC Lions fired former Stampeders defensive coordinator Devon Claybrooks, and I know Devon Claybrooks a little bit. Um, I used to work out with a guy that played with the Stampeders for years. His name is Jackie Kellogg. He now works in the business sector here in Calgary, and I have still uh, have stayed in touch over the years with Jackie Kellogg, and that al- allowed me to meet Devon Claybrooks one time, and he's a very engaging individual. But Claybrooks finally gets his his shot as a head coach in the Canadian Football League, and it didn't go well. I understand that in Vancouver, it did not go well. He completed a five and thirteen season with zero wins against any of the other teams in the Western Division. But I got to say that that is totally disrespectful in so many ways. How can any coach come into a program? And I'm thinking about Steve Wilkes last year in Arizona. I'm thinking about potentially Freddie Kitchens this year in Cleveland for damn sure with the Browns. But realistically, how can a coach change everything that he needs to change in one season? I think that was disrespectful. And Ed Hervey, who is the general manager of the BC Lions, I think you made a huge mistake here, Mr. Hervey. And I hope, realistically, I hope this comes back and bites you in the ass. I know Devon Claybrooks were not buddies. I know of him. I've met him. I've talked a little football with him. I think he knows what he's talking about. But obviously he was a defensive-minded guy. I get that. 5-13 and 13 in the Canadian Football League is not very good. I get that. I've been watching Canadian Football League games for 23 years now. But to give a guy only one year, that just, I have a problem with that. 
I really do. You've got to give a coach, I think, at bare minimum two years, in a perfect world, three years, to try to implement change. If it hasn't improved after two or three years, then you're right to kick him to the curb. But what can a guy do to correct all the problems in Van- in Vancouver with their football team? How can you expect a guy to correct all those problems in one season? And I think Ed Hervey, the general manager, screwed up here and disrespected the coach, and he disrespected anybody that's trying to get into the coaching fraternity because how in the hell can you succeed in your chosen profession if you you finally ascend to the top job and you only get one year i think that's bullshit yeah well the bc lions are just spoiled by wally buono being there for so long and they expect now oh, we're just going to hire another hall of fame coach and he'll just come in and instantly make it good and then we'll be great for another 10 years and that's not the reality and with a yeah with a new coach like it almost seems like they don't trust the guy and trust his system and trust his ways. But then if that's the case, why did you hire him him in the first place? So, I mean, you have to hire guys that you are just all in on. Yeah. Did you know many guys out there you can hire as a football coach? There's no shortage. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's no shortage at all. You can, because you don't have to limit yourself to Canada. You can, it's very common to hire guys from the States. Well, look at the guys. I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, I, the guys in the CFL right now, Kahari Jones at Montreal. He's an American. Uh, Dave Dickinson in Calgary, American from Great Falls, Montana. His brother, Craig, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Great Falls, Montana. Devon Claybrooks, well, he's not the coach of the BC Lions anymore, but he's American too. So there are no lack of quality uh, candidates out there. And if you took the time and you... Uh, you know, interviewed this guy and did your due diligence. You should have seen what his strengths and potentially some of his weaknesses are, and you don't can him after one year. Yeah, no, they they screwed up here, and it. it uh, I well, I could list a lot of examples. It reminds me of in in uh, in with other teams and uh, with the NFL, but uh, no, it's it just you have to be all in with the guy, give him a proper time, see a plan in place, and uh, and all that. And uh, this just feels like a GM trying to save his own skin. Went a little long on this 422nd episode, and I apologize for that, but we had a lot of good things to talk about, and that's why I kind of shortened up a little bit of our NFL picks this week. So hope you're not too ticked off about that, but there were a lot of really good things to talk about and get to this week, and I wanted to take the time to do so. Having said all that, we'll put a wrap on this 422nd episode of Unscripted. Free Forum Friday is next. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.